Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Um, I just want to read to you something that Paul shares with us. And I, uh, I think it's just so special when it, it's concerning moms. When, when Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, he says, but we, were, uh, but we were gentle among you, just as nursing mothers cherish their own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. And every time I read that, it just kind of, it just reminds me of the love of a mother and how much moms give of themselves. You know, they're very not selfish <laughs> in so many ways. And um, I just want to pray for you moms right now and pray for you who don't have your moms no more. And I know that it's a tough time as well. And uh, it's been two years since my mom passed away and it just sucks. It really does. And so let's pray. I want to pray for you guys and then we'll move right into our study this morning. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. We want to honor all the moms here, Lord. God, we're just so grateful, Lord God, for them. Lord, how they, they give of themselves, Lord God, and I know they're all selfish at the same time, Lord, but man, oh man, Lord, you've, you've placed something within moms that, that like the Apostle Paul said, Lord God, that they are willing to just give of themselves, Lord God. They, they cherish and they do so much, Lord, and I just pray a blessing upon each and every mom right here, right now, Lord God. I pray for everyone here, Lord God. Who, who can't celebrate it the way they used to, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them as we remember our mamas, Lord. And God, we just are so blessed to be able to celebrate this day. Lord, thank you. Lord, go before us now, even as we read your word and get into your, uh, into your word, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. If you were here <clears throat> the week before Easter, which was Palm Sunday, you know that this is the text that we were in, and so you will hear a lot of the similar things that you heard a little over a month ago, um, but they're great reminders. Um, even though we covered it a few weeks ago, a month ago, um, this should never get old to us. Whenever, you know, you, you go through a passage and then you, you come through it again, that it should never become just rote. It should be something that's fresh, that's new. And, uh, and again, there's nothing new that we can add, basically, to this text. It is what it is. But perhaps we can bring in some more history of, uh, and, and, and maybe a different little perspective that uh, that that we can that that has brought us to this point as we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew for almost the last two years. There's so much that has led us to this point that that oftentimes we don't hear on a Palm Sunday message because we get right to the point to be able to go. Here's why we're here at this moment, and so chapter 21, beginning in verse one, we will go to verse 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, 
Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. We, we have gotten to the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. He, he, he's been on, on this ministry now for three and a half years, and all of this is culminating to this point where we are at right now. And, and Matthew, the writer of the gospel, will now spend the next eight chapters giving us the final week of Jesus here on earth. And we're going to see in this amazing week a lot of theological, prophetic, and messianic events that will be fulfilled because that's why he's here, to fulfill. All of this is called this past or this week will be called passion week as we know it and so in verse one where he says now they drew near to jerusalem it's interesting because for the last several weeks in our study we've been talking about the fact that they were going to jerusalem that he was headed towards jerusalem and nothing was going to divert him from getting there to jerusalem but it just seems like this journey has taken such a long time Maybe because I drag out studies on and on and on, you know. <laughs> but, but since they made their way down from the Galilee area, it's like, where's the timeline here? And it's kind of difficult at times to, to, to pinpoint timelines. Now, oftentimes I try to follow track and stuff, but there's stuff when you're, when you're reading the synoptic gospels that you can say, okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they, they are like right on time in, in a lot of ways. Changes, but they're kind of, you can follow along. But man, you get into the gospel of John and he just throws everything out of whack. You know, and it's hard to follow along sometimes with John and going back into the synoptic gospels and stuff. But, but be that as it may, it just seems like it's been taking a long time on this journey. But they have been on the east side. They're crossing over, as we saw last week, going into Jer uh, Jericho, coming out of Jericho, and all this time. But what we can gather from this time of year, 
that's happening in our text. And the reason for so much ministry that is going on, and perhaps why he stayed on the east side for, for quite a while, doesn't know, I, we don't know exactly how long, but he was there doing quite a bit of ministry. It, it, it is because it was the beginning of the Passion, not just the Passion, but the Passover week. Passover was right out around the corner, it was drawing near, and so now they are drawing near to Jerusalem. So you can imagine that there are so many people in and around the area that have converged down south of Israel where Jerusalem is and the surrounding areas. It is believed that that whole area went from perhaps a couple hundred thousand people that lived in that surrounding area to over two million people around Passover time. You see, Passover was like the granddaddy of, of all the festivals for the Jews. You know, there was other festivals that people would come. There was three particular ones that, that every Jewish male over the age of 18 would be making a, a journey down to, to Jerusalem area. But Passover in particular was the height of them, the biggest one. And so they were required to be there. And so logistically speaking, because there were so many people converging in that area, then the Roman army also had to double its efforts. They had to bring people from all over to converge in that place as well. Because there was a lot of tension in the air around that time. That time brought people out of the woodworks, people that would be claiming things and saying things that would oftentimes get the crowds riled up because it was around that time of year, especially Passover, that the Jewish people would remember deliverance. If you remember, Passover started when Moses showed up to Egypt after being gone for a time, coming back and telling Pharaoh, hey, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. Kept on saying, no, no, no way, Mo. No way. You ain't going. They're not going. Until the last plague that was going to come upon them would be the, the, the plague of death. The death of the, of the firstborn. And so Passover came about because God warned the children of Israel saying, hey, I am sending the plague of death, but if you, if you want to survive this, then you will kill an innocent lamb and put its blood on the doorpost of your door, of your house. And when the angel of death comes by and sees the blood, he will pass over your house, hence the name Passover. And so they remember that it was right after Passover that, that their deliverer, Moses, came and took them out of bondage. And so there was always tension in the air around that time because people were expecting a prophet, maybe Elijah, but they were expecting a prophet like Moses to show up and deliver them from their bondage under Roman rule. And so they were always expecting someone 
around that time, i.e. the Messiah. And that's why there was people coming on the scene claiming to be something that they were not. Well, we know because what we've been studying that so many times people were considering Jesus to be the son of David and that title in particular proved and said that he was the Messiah and he never told them, hey, don't call me that. He allowed them to call him that because he was the son of David. He was the Messiah come on the scene. And now it is his moment to be revealed as we will see. Now let me throw something else in the mix here. It was around that time when he was probably on the east side of the Jordan or maybe just on the other side. It doesn't tell us exactly where. But in John chapter 11, this is when... They sent a messenger to Jesus and say, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick. You guys remember that. And, and this is when he kind of waited for a little while and then shows up, but he shows up and he's dead. Not almost dead, he is dead. Like he's been room temperature for four days. He's been in the grave. And Jesus comes and he raises him from the dead. And it was around that time, according to John's gospel, that, that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And so there's a lot of hullabaloo going on in that arena, in that place, because they know that Jesus is the one that did it. And so I think the buzz is out there. Hey, there was a guy who was dead. And maybe people as they're getting to Jerusalem and even Bethany and, and Bethphage where all this was going on that, that they know, man, there is somebody here, around here. Maybe they don't know who Jesus is personally, but they have heard there's a guy who's raising from the dead. And who can do that but Messiah? So again, there's a lot of tension going on. There's a lot of excitement happening right now as they are drawing near to Jerusalem. And so again, man, all of this is fresh in their minds. And it says that they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage. From Bethphage, it's just east of Jerusalem. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. And Bethany is right next door. That's where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. They are on the Mount of Olives, as it tells us. And the Mount of Olives just, again, like sat right east of Jerusalem. And it was just a little higher than Jerusalem. So you can almost see down onto the Temple Mount area from Bethphage and Bethany area. There's a little Kidron Valley there that, again, it's two miles you know, however it is. And it always reminds me, because I had the privilege of being there one time, of watching it, and there's other stuff, but it reminds me of right here where the 138 is, before you get up to Highway 2. That, that, that there's a hill on this side and a hill on that side, that side in, in, in Wild Horse Canyon right there. And, and that's what it reminds me of, a little valley. It's not big, it's not huge. It's, it's just a little valley that goes back up to another little hill. And that's what reminds me all the time when I read about the Kidron Valley. That that is kind of what it looks like. And Jesus is no stranger to this area. Whenever he was down, that is where he hung out with his adopted family, if you will, with uh, Lazarus and his sisters. 
And so it tells us that Jesus sent two of his disciples. And the word sent, as I've shared it with you before, and you've heard this many a times, is where we get our word apostle. The word in, in the Greek is apostolos. And so we get our word apostle, apostle, apostle from. And it means to send on a commission to do something. They are sent out. And this is what Jesus has done. He has sent them out to go do something. Now, it doesn't tell us which of the two disciples he sent. But let me speculate, if you will. Let me take a risk here and kind of go off or go out on a limb. But can I suggest to you that maybe, perhaps, possibly, it is James and John. Remember James and John that we've been kind of looking at? Those guys wanted a prominent position. It's like, you guys want to be great in the kingdom? Go get me a donkey. You guys go and take care of this. Now, I can't prove that. But I'm just thinking as I'm kind of going through this going, I would have. Hey, you guys want my right and my left? Hey, why don't you guys go get me a donkey first? Let's see how obedient you are. (laughs) But that's just me. But I don't know if it was or not. But verse 2 tells, me, tells us that, that he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose him, or loose them, and bring them to me. Now, whether or not the disciples knew exactly what was going on, that all of this was beginning to unfold of what God had wanted to do in and among the people, and this is why he came, whether they knew what they were doing or not, I have no clue. And that is not the issue for me. The fact is that they are obedient to their master. When he said go, they went. Whether they totally understood or not, they went and did what the master told them to do. And we will hear the command to go one other time before Jesus is put to death. And that is when he is going to set up communion on Passover when he tells them, hey, go prepare the room for us. But you will hear the command to go a couple more times in the Gospel of Matthew after his resurrection, but before his ascension. Where he says, hey, go and tell my brothers or the rest of the guys that I have risen from the dead. And right at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, he will tell them, go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm so glad that these guys were obedient to their master because you and I are here because they were obedient to their master. And they went and told people, about Jesus and they made disciples and that continues on today it says go to that village opposite you which would be Bethany probably less than a mile away and that is the home of Lazarus and his sisters again Jesus is no stranger to there uh, to that place he, he again it was probably his home away from home he is really close with them and we see that in John chapter 11 when Lazarus dies says immediately and immediately they you will find the donkey tied and the colt with her loose them and bring them to me that that word immediately means directly i.e at once as soon as forthwith shortly straightway In, in other words what jesus is telling them to go and find 
They will be in plain sight. They will not have to worry, is this what Jesus meant? I think oftentimes he gives us a command to go and do what he's asked us to do. And I think oftentimes we start playing it in our minds and we confuse the situation. And here, it's not like they went, it's like, well, did... Was it a, you know, this color or that color? It's like, no, this is what he told them to go do. Immediately when you get there, it will be right in front of you in plain sight. And I think oftentimes we complicate things when he's telling us to go and do what he has asked us to do. And instead of just taking it at, at, at his word that this is what it is in front of you, we complicate it. And this was not complicated. They did not have to wonder, is this what Jesus meant? And I think the Word of God is pretty clear for us when He tells us to go and do certain things that are biblical, that we are to go and take care of the situation. It will be right in front of us. It will be directly in front of us. And so a colt of a donkey. Interesting, because this is not the the animal that you think a, a king would be using as he's going to be revealing himself. We often get the picture of a, a king coming on a horse, a big caballo blanco, you know, a big old white horse, you know. Threw a little bit, bit of Spanish lingo in there for you. Big, big horse, man. That's what we picture a, 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 guy, a, a king coming in, right? A big white horse. Well, in wartime, that would be appropriate to come in in, in, a, in a horse. But in peacetime, a donkey would do, a mule would, would do, even for a king. It would be appropriate, but not so much a colt like we find here. But he is a different king that he is going to reveal himself. And so he's coming in as, as this king, but he's coming in humility. And for sure, he is coming in peace. And he is coming as a servant, as we saw last week. That he, he wasn't coming to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so this was the perfect animal for him because he was coming in. Behold, your king is coming. And he is coming humbly and lowly, it tells us here. And he says, and if anyone stops you to ask you, hey, what are you doing? And again, people, I would say a lot of people probably knew Jesus in Bethany. And it is quite possible. I mean, I doubt that he kind of arranged it with somebody. Hey, this is what we're going to be doing around this time. I'm going to send people. We're going to blow their minds. You know, you come in and you stop them. Hey, what are you doing? And, and this would be the code word. The Lord has need of it. And then you let it go and it will blow them away. Now, I don't think he set it up that way. Possible. But I doubt it. I think they just knew Jesus being in that area, knowing that he was a good friend to these people who were there. And so when his disciples come and when they do say that, when they're loosening the colt, because they have no clue, maybe they do, I don't know. When they're loosening the colt, it's like, hey, 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 what are you doing, man? Get off my property. It's like, oh, hey, the Lord has need of it. Oh, talking about Jesus. You guys go on with your bad selves. Take it. Do what you got to do. And so as he, he sends them, he says, you know, that as, as they say that, then, then bring it back to me. And I just feel like, man, everything is starting to roll here. 
And I love the fact that even a, an animal like this will comply to Jesus. And, and uh, Psalm 50 verses 10 and 11 came to mind where it says in verse 10, every beast for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine is what God says. And so all of this is his. And I love that. I love the fact that he says, man, I know every bird, man. I know everything. And they will fall in line. The people will fall in line. The animal kingdom will fall in line as well. And so in verse 4 it says, All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Nothing was ever done in the life of Jesus that did not have a purpose and it did not have a fulfillment attached to it. Jesus did not leave heaven for a little getaway, a little R&R, if you will, to try to get away from the whole craziness of, of, the, of the universe. He didn't do that. He came to fulfill what was already prophesied about him so long ago. Everything has its purpose in Christ. Everything. Jesus has now set the stage here by sending his disciples to go get the ball rolling. And what he has set out to do is about to come to pass. The time of fulfillment has come because his hour has now come. As he has said time and time again throughout his ministry, my hour has not yet come. It has now come. It is now right around the corner and it is about to come to pass. This was no accident that was about to happen. And I think oftentimes as I was looking at this, I think oftentimes when we look at this Passion Week, and it is a horrible week in so many ways, but none of it was an accident, guys. None of it. Everything was already being fulfilled. Everything was already being planned. When you read through Isaiah, the last part of Isaiah, it just tells everything everything about the, the Messiah and what he would go through. The prophets of old, they spoke about him, of what he, came, he was coming to do and what he would fulfill. And all of this is happening exactly the way God said it should happen in his word throughout the Old Testament. And so nothing is an accident. Jesus gave his life. Nobody takes his life. He lays down his life for his friends. Now, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew quotes Zechariah 9, 9. And again, if you were here on Palm Sunday, you heard that verse all the time. Some of you guys probably had it tattooed on your body somewhere. I don't know. Because we said it so much ago, man, it just became my favorite verse, man. Um, maybe not. <laughs> but he quotes Zechariah 9, 9 here. But he leaves a portion of it out, which is interesting. If you read, and we'll, we'll reference it a couple of times, but he leaves out this portion. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. And he leaves this other portion out where he says, he is just and having salvation. Now, it doesn't mean that they were not to rejoice or shout in Jerusalem because they would. And it wasn't that he was not just and having salvation because he does. But he does add another portion of Scripture 
to this verse, just a short little portion, but it comes from Isaiah 30, uh, 62, verse 11, where it says, Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to or tell the daughter of Zion, Surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before them. And in that... Putting those two together, there would be rejoicing and shouting in Jerusalem and Zion because salvation has now come on the scene. And Jesus is about to reveal why he came and he will be paying the price for salvation soon. But he says, tell the daughter of Zion. It's interesting because we hear the word Zion a lot throughout his, his word. And we might even hear it even in our day and age about the Zionists and, and Zion and all those kinds of things. And, and I just kind of want to explain to you the meaning of that word. And this is mainly taken from Nelson's Bible dictionary. But, but the word Zion, it, it, it undertook or, or underwent a distinct progression in its use throughout the Word of God. It's first mentioned in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, where it says, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. And in parentheses, it says, that is the city of David, period. You see, it would become the city of David. Zion was named for an ancient Jebusite fortress in that area that was situated just southeast um, on a hill in Jerusalem area. And it was, it was connected by, or it was right in, 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 in the middle of these two little valleys, the Kidron Valley and the Tyro uh, um Valley, which is a smaller valley right adjacent to the Kidron Valley. And that's where Zion, that fortress, was located. And the name came to, to stand not only for the fortress, but also for that whole hill where the fortress stood. After David captured the stronghold of Zion by defeating the Jebusites, he called Zion the city of David. So his city, which is just south of the Temple Mount, he called it Zion. Now, when Solomon, his son, built the temple on Mount Moriah, which was distinct and separate from Mount Zion, he moved the Ark of the Covenant onto the Temple Mount, into the temple, and the word Zion expanded to include the temple and the Temple Mount or the temple area. And so it was only a matter of time until Zion was used as the name of the city of Jerusalem. And so the city of Jerusalem and the city of Zion are synonymous with one another. But... Also, it is known, the whole land of Judah is known as Zion, and it came to, to pass that the people of Israel were known as the people of Zion, and eventually the whole nation of Israel is considered to be Zion. And so that's where this word comes from. It kind of started off as a fortress, but now all of Israel and the people are called the people of Zion. And so it tells us here that Zechariah is saying, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey. 
And so we have come through a section in the Gospel of Matthew known as the Ministry of the Rejected King. And I've shared with you, and I haven't mentioned it in a while, but Matthew breaks up his gospel in different sections. And, and this particular section uh, of the ministry of the rejected king goes from chapter 14 to chapter 23. And so we've been in that for a while. And what we have seen here is all these amazing works, the wondrous works of Jesus in this section. And we have seen many, many people come to him, receive his message, repent, and begin to follow him, albeit at the same time, the religious leaders and the religious system has rejected him at every turn. And that is why he keeps on being rejected by Israel itself. The people in particular, many of them were coming to him. The common people, they heard him gladly, it says. But it is the religious system, the religious leaders that he will fight against and has been fighting against, and we will see it again throughout these, the, this, past, this next week in his life, that he will battle them. And they keep on rejecting him. And so I titled the message, Behold Your King, because as Matthew has been portraying Jesus as Christ the King, or Jesus, King of the Jews. And so now we get to the part in which Jesus is now going to let it be known that he is the king, that he is Messiah. He, he is now going to let it out because he's told people, hey, keep it on the down low. But now it's time. It's time to expose this. And I, I love the fact that when Jesus was first introduced, as he started his ministry by John the Baptist, when John the Baptist points at him and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we looked at that word behold last week. Where, where, where it is a call to see, to pay close attention to, to mentally uh, apprehend, capture what is about to be seen or heard. And this introduction that we have here is just as important as the first introduction where, where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This one here where we hear a prophetic word from Zechariah where he says, Behold, your king is coming to you. We, we are to pay attention to this. Very close attention. Mentally apprehend it. Capture it to see what happens next and what we hear next. And so it is just as important. And so the word behold here, just as it, when he was introduced the first time, we could say, behold, your king is coming to you. And he is lowly. He is humble. You see, this was prophesied over 400 years earlier. Zechariah being one of the last writers of the Old Testament before Malachi. He wrote this down that He would be coming to us, that Jesus Himself would be coming, that, 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 that we could basically say, Behold, King Jesus has come to take away the sins of the world as the Passover Lamb. Because that is basically what He was saying, that He was coming, lowly. And that word lowly means gentle, mild, meek, but it doesn't mean weak in any way, shape, or form. 
because the word meek basically means, literally means strength under control. And so in verses 9 or 6 through 9, where it says, So they went and they did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the, and, and the colt and they laid their clothes on them, put Jesus on these animals. I don't know if he rode them simultaneously. I don't know how, how he did that, but, but he sat on them. And a very large multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so now Jesus is about to let the disciples do something he has not let them do before. He had always said, hey, Keep it on the download. Don't tell people who I am. And he often told people, hey, don't go tell people anything. But now it was time. And he's going to let them do something that they, they had never been allowed to do before. And that is express that he is the Messiah. He is the king. Behold, your king is coming. In other words, Jesus was waiting for this particular day to come. It was a very, very important day. It would also fulfill the prophecy that was prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. To the day, on this particular day, on that Palm Sunday, to the day, I, I, I should have wrote the number down, but it is an amazing number that when the day came, when, when Artaxerxes commanded that the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt, and we've been covering that on Thursday nights in the book of Nehemiah, to this particular day, to the day, it was an important day, and he was waiting for his time to come, and now it was time to pro be proclaimed the Messiah, the Christ, the King. Now, I know that these guys, the, the apostles here, were not scholars in any way, shape, or form, but they were Jews nonetheless, and they were schooled in a lot of these things. And so I could almost guarantee you that Zechariah 9.9 should be sounding very familiar to them at this point when they're doing this, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Can you imagine as they're doing this, as they've gotten the donkey and the colt, as they're now putting the, the clothes on it, as they're like placing Jesus going, wait a minute here. Sounds really familiar here, man, as we're putting Jesus on, on the donkey here. And so I don't know how these guys were prompted to do this, but again, now they're making this makeshift saddle and they're putting their clothes there on, on the thing so Jesus can sit in it. And, and none of this was planned out, but all of a sudden the people are beginning to gather and all this is now taking a life of its own. And they are gathering branches and they're placing them before. John's gospel tells us that it was palm branches, hence the name, Palm Sunday. And so now it's Passover. Passover week is right there. And many people are celebrating this. And it is all happening because it is, the prophecy is about to be fulfilled. And so they're doing all these things. The fact that they're laying clothes out 
and branches out was a sign of respect for whoever was riding into town. It was to honor. And it's interesting because he has not won a victory yet. (laughs) He's coming into town, but he's being honored as a king. Behold, your king is coming. This triumphal entry would be different than any other triumphant entry that has happened because he's not coming from a battle and he's not really a king in the physical sense. It is quite possible that many knew who Jesus was that maybe had traveled down from from the Galilee area and they've always loved him and honored him and followed him. And they're doing this to express their gratitude because maybe they have seen his healings, his miracle works, and they want to honor him. And perhaps, just maybe, he is the one. He is the one that will deliver them from, from Rome the tyranny of Rome. And so they have their hopes that maybe this is it because he's never allowed that to happen before. And so Zechariah 9.9 is probably sounding really familiar to a lot of them. And so this two-mile journey, this two-mile parade, if you will, as they are reaching Jerusalem, the people are quoting Psalm 118, 25, and 26 where it says, Save now, Hosanna is that word, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord, is what they are quoting, basically. And from the other Gospels, we know that the scribes and the Pharisees are now in their midst as they have been coming. Because again, you could could see the valley, you could see what's going on. If these guys were over here in Jerusalem, they probably have made their way over there. If not, if they're already there. But on on good days, you could hear, just like you could hear in the distance, people talking in our area when when it's nice and settled, settled, you can hear people talking. They can see and hear a lot of the hullabaloo that's going on. And so they have now gotten into the mix and the multitude, and they're probably thinking, here's another guy trying to make a name for himself. And when they see that it's Jesus, they're already acquainted with who Jesus is. And so it says that they are there. Now, these guys are scholars. These guys should have known. But I think because of their hatred towards Jesus, that this thing bothered them uh, as well, uh, uh, if not more so. Zechariah 9.9 should have been sounding really familiar to them, but they're not allowing that to sink in because of their hatred towards him. So I could understand that the disciples are being caught up in the moment, but these guys should have understood, whoa, this sounds like Zechariah 9.9. This sounds very much like Daniel chapter 9, because those guys knew the number of days. They should have been counting it down. Behold, their king was coming to them. And instead of knowing the time, they were going to miss it. And it's interesting because as people are shouting out Hosanna in the highest, instead of them understanding the time, they yell out to Jesus, as Luke's gospel tells us, says, teacher, rebuke them. In other words, tell them to shut up because I can guarantee you it's ringing in their ear and they know what's going on, but they're fighting this because they hate him so much. 
And Jesus says to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones will immediately cry out. And I always, every time I read that thing, man, what a sight that would have been. But you see, the people had to be crying out Hosanna in the highest. Praises and shouts and rejoicing was supposed to go out because if they didn't, that particular day, all of creation would have done it. Because it was an important day. Behold, your king is coming. And he's heading into Zion. He's heading into Jerusalem. And there was shouts of rejoicing happening. Palm Sunday. It marks the triumphal entry of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the sent one, the one who came to save. It's important, guys. The shouts of Hosanna, save us now, are ringing in the air. And I'm sure that the Roman soldiers, they understand what's going on, going, it's going to get crazy up in here right now. And I'm sure that they're trying to keep the crowd down as well. Behold, your king is coming. And there was time for rejoicing. It was a time for rejoicing and a time to shout, save us now. Jesus would be crowned king a few days later, but not with gold and precious stones. And he came to save, but not from the tyranny of Rome. Behold, your king is coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's why he's coming. And he's coming lowly in that way. Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And as we have seen time and time again in the life of Jesus, he comes in humility because that's what humility looks like. It looks like Jesus. Always looks like Jesus. Just the way Zachariah said that he would come in lowly, riding on a donkey. He was just. He was righteous. And he was having salvation And so behold, your king is coming and he has that and he is offering that. But he was coming to take away their sin. The day of salvation had come for them just like it has today for us. The day of salvation is always here for those who may not know who Jesus is. For us who are saved already, we should rejoice Because when we see this, it reminds us that he came to save you and I. And because the disciples were obedient to go and do what they were supposed to do, 2,000 years later, we can continue to rejoice and shout and say, our king has come. He has come to save us. Behold, your king is coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so the last two verses here, where it says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. It must have been quite a parade. Man, oh man. The Roman army is on high alert, and it says that the whole city was moved. And the word move means to rock, vibrate, properly, sideways, or to and fro, i.e. generally to agitate in any direction, cause to tremble figuratively, to throw into tremor of fear and concern, move, quake, shake. Dude, stuff was rocking and rolling, man. (laughs) 
It was happening, man. I've shared this with you as we close up here. Jesus did 75% of his ministry up in the Galilee area. And so a lot of people knew him there. Most of the people now that are in Jerusalem have come from other places that Jesus had not gone to. And that is why these people are going, who is this? Why is it such a big deal? What's happening? They had no clue what was going on. And they're asking, who is this? And the people who knew him, perhaps those who had come down with him, maybe even some from his own hometown who might be proud of him right now for a little bit because they were never proud of him. They said to him or to them, he is a prophet from Nazareth. Jesus never called himself a prophet. But Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me in your midst from your brethren. Him you shall hear because he came to deliver just like Moses did. Behold, your king, as the Lamb of God, identified as a prophet who will soon become our high priest, to take his place on the mercy seat in the throne room of grace at the right hand of the Father is coming to you. What's your response? Amen? Father in heaven, thank you so much. Father, you've given us your word. Father, that it it may never be old to us. Even if we've heard this portion of scripture a couple months ago or a month ago, that it would never, ever be old, Lord that we would get excited every time we get to open up your word and read your word, Lord. To be able to share your word, what a a privilege that is, Lord. Thank you so much. I pray, God, that even this morning, Lord, you have ministered to our hearts, reminding us that this was prophesied long ago, that, Lord, as the king was coming in humility, that, Lord, we would capture that, that we would comprehend that in our minds Lord and understand that this is who Jesus is and that we are to be more like him each and every day Lord in humility God you came to save and I know many in this room right now Lord God have been saved Lord they've taken you up on the fact that you called them to repent and they have repented Father many have walked away, have felt very far from you, Lord. And I pray that this morning they would be drawn near. They would be drawn to you. Father, and I pray that if there's some in this room this morning who've never really accepted you, Lord, who've never really walked with you, Lord, that they would take it to heart that their king has come and he's bringing salvation. And if that's you this morning here, if you feel so far away or if you've never really accepted Jesus, that you would just slip your hand up and I just want to pray for you right where you're at. Is there anyone? Bless you. Anybody else? Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord, to draw people closer to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for your precious promises, Lord God. Things that were prophesied so long ago coming to pass, Lord, that even 2,000 years later, as we read to them, would blow our minds, Lord that your word is true. And what was true back then is true today, Lord, in our lives. Go with us now, we pray. 
Continue to use us as light, as salt to this world. Blessed be your name, Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.